When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Talking Cars is brought to you by our friends at Onyx Off-Road. With more than 985 million acres of public land and over 400,000 miles of roads and trails, including open dates and width restrictions, Onyx Off-Road is a must-have app for any motorized enthusiast. Explore with confidence using the most trusted and accurate GPS satellite topo trail mapping app. Turn your phone into the best off-road mapping tool for finding open dirt roads and trails, tracking your favorite routes, and adding custom waypoints along the way. Onyx Off-Road uses your phone's GPS when you're off-grid and offline. Access full detailed satellite imagery, open trails, and remote campsites, all while out of cell service. Download the app from the App Store, Google Play, or go to onyxmaps.com slash offroad-app for a seven-day free trial. Now, let's get to the podcast. Hey guys, welcome to episode eight of the uh, Talking Cars podcast. And today I have a really great treat for you. I've got uh, two people who know about as much as there is to know about overlanding. So uh, let me introduce, well, you know, you guys need no introduction, but why don't you introduce yourselves? This is the team that started and now runs Expedition Overland. So just do a quick intro to the audience, would you guys, and how you got into traveling around the world when traveling around the world was just starting to become popular. Sure. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. Well, my name's Clay, Clay Croft, and uh, yeah, founder of Expedition Overland. It's my wife, Rochelle. Hello. And uh, together we've been building Expedition Overland for 10 years. This is our 10th year. And years ago, 10 years ago, about this time of year, we took the plunge and said, we need to start seeing more of the world and traveling in our vehicles. We, we had an interest in our vehicles and traveling out of them. And we just said, you know, maybe there's this potential to shoot a show out of it. And uh, we took a trip down to Moab for the first trip and uh, kind of got a concept going and it took off. And I mean, long story short, 10 years later, here we are, we're still doing it. <laughs> but uh, we have been able to travel all over the world um, with with Expedition Overland, with other expeditions. Uh, both of us have been, I guess, ambitious in, in our own trips in different ways, but uh, traveling the world by vehicle bit us hard 10 years ago, and we haven't stopped doing it since. Sit back and relax or keep driving if you're driving. TFL Talking Cars is on the air, the world's most popular car podcast. Okay, maybe not yet, but we're working on it. Yeah, so in the show, I want to actually talk about three things. Yeah. So first, I want to talk about you guys and, and how you came about and, and kind of the adventures that you've had. And then I want to transition to the vehicles that you're using because I know our audience loves 
uh, trucks and cars that especially go overland and off-road. So let's talk about those. And then at sure. the end, let's talk about some of the tips that you can pass along to people who want to uh, kind of follow in your footsteps. Uh, but let me start with the thing that's near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, traveling by vehicle across country. So yeah. you said that you loved going down to Moab, which is great, but that's, mm -hmm. you know, from your, your Montana, so from Montana to Moab is a great trip, but you've gone much further than that, right? I mean, that, that, is, that is a walk in the park compared to some of the expeditions that you have done. So how did you first sure. plan where you were gonna go and why? Yeah, well, I think the, the number one reason to go anywhere is that you have an interest in being there or to exploring it. So that's, that's always the start. We always want to see where do we want to go? What do we want to see there? And uh, then we kind of oftentimes back that up to the challenge of what challenges are there. You know, we present ourselves with, you mm -hmm. know, what, what kind of challenges are there um, that we would want to take or tackle or not tackle. You know, there's, there's no goes too. But uh, yeah, so we started by doing a, a Moab trip. I'd never been to Moab, wanted to go there. So got our trucks outfitted, basically, very basically at the time, and went for it and did a 10-day trip with uh, her father, my father-in-law, her dad, uh, was our initial one before we ever filmed anything. And I was like, okay, this, this could work. And then um, went for a big trip in Moab, went back actually, because it was a little familiar and that helped us in the filming process. Uh, but then from there, we wanted to take it much further. Like you, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you know, we wanted to we wanted to see the world and we still do. There's a lot of world to go around. And uh, so by the next year after doing some weekend warrior trips, we decided we wanted to go to Alaska. And once we went to Alaska or made that decision, this is what we always tell everybody, make the decision, put it on the calendar and then you're committed. Mm -hmm. And once we did that, you know, that, that really set the ball in motion and uh, we got sponsors and things like that. But we, we went and shot, I think we were up in the Alaska Yukon for 60 days. You know, the longest trip I had done before that, maybe 10. Maybe 10 days, I would say, you yeah. Know? And uh, then we went for 60 days, 60 straight days, one night in a hotel. And that was, you know, rooftop tents and bugs and everything else in Alaska. It was fantastic. <laughs> so wonderful. Anybody can go do that too. Um, so I've been, I've been following you, you guys for a long time on uh, pro, on uh, on YouTube. You have a very popular YouTube channel, but recently I, I found you on Prime, which is exciting because now I can watch mm. watch you guys actually at home on the big screen. Um, yeah. and, and the awesome. reason I bring that up is because there's really, if you know, we have a video production company as well, and there's really two things that are going on, right? There's the trip in itself, which is hard, but then yeah. there's the whole other problem of actually doing the video production, right? Uh, and yeah. people don't yes. see that part. That's the part that actually takes the greatest, I think, the greatest amount of time and the greatest amount of planning. How did you combine those two? You know, uh, let's look behind the curtain, right? Because sure. you make it look seamless and effortless, but it's not. <laughs> no, it sure isn't. And we, we go to great lengths to make it look seamless and effortless because that's, uh, you know, that's the, that's the story we want to tell. And we want to be professional in, in our film production. You know, that's, that's a goal of mine of, I'm a film guy. So making sure that it is done correctly and properly is very important to me. And we go to great lengths to, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, make it look as polished as it is. But that's where we get a lot of pride out of our work. Uh, we, we have a lot of pride in the trips that we do, but I mean, 
it lives on forever in film. So that's really where we put a lot of our effort to make sure that that, you know, will hold up and be able to meet the Amazon standards and things like that to be mm-hmm. placed on Amazon, which we had always hoped for. We, we had built it for bigger distribution platforms all along beyond YouTube. And uh, we've been rewarded well by going to Amazon just because the audience just really seems to be tapped into the longer form format that XO is in. Mm-hmm. I would say too, it's, it took us, um, so we started out in Alaska and once we were in Alaska, we, I remember you brought up the possibility that um, we could complete the whole Pan American highway. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that whole saga started with Central America. Mm-hmm. And then we did South America and each, uh, there was a year in between because it took so much time to spool up everything on the back end to be able to film it well. And I would say, I mean, Alaska was like stumbling through, figuring out how to film, totally. how to be a team, how to be characters, how to overland, like all of it happened we at once. Everything. And we were such rookies, which was great. Um, and then by the time we got to South America, it felt like we kind of had our systems dialed Clay um, mm-hmm. really grew in his directing roles uh, throughout the year. And so learned how to like map his episodes and all keeping track of the story um, yep. because that's what lives. And overall is what we're, what we love to do is tell stories. Yep, exactly. So yeah, I went from Alaska Yukon was uh, I think we're somewhere maybe five episode five, maybe episode six. Yeah. Shoot everything. Seven if we're lucky. <laughs> Um, and then you get home and you sort it out. And by set South America season three, we were like, we are in episode six, somewhere between minute 14 and 16. <laughs> it, was it, it, it was down to that, you know? So we, yeah. and we, we had to do that cause it allows you to relax your brain and allows you to be in the moment more and stuff. But it took years. That took seven years to get to that level where we could map it that way. And, you know, I, I did a short, um, I wouldn't call it an expedition, but a drive with you in, by your standards from uh, Moab uh, to uh, Telluride. Uh, and it's also very difficult for people at home to understand just how much gear you have to have and how much electricity you have to have and how much like editing on the on the fly you have to do. And you've got quite the setup there where you could actually charge batteries. You can, you know, keep track of gear. And we're not just talking about cameras and GoPros. I'm talking about drones and you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot to it, right? It's, it's not so much. Like, it's not like the usual, you know, Hey, look at me. You know, <laughs> if you're doing yeah. professional <laughs> video, uh, it's, it's, it's a full-time job. And then overlanding is a full-time job and planning for overlanding. I, I guess I'm just amazed at the amount of work that you guys put in and make it look so seamless. So, so for us, the, the moment where it gets uh, really hard, but is also the most interesting is when things go totally wrong, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the plan <laughs> stuff is fine, but when it all like goes south and something, you know, horrible happens, uh, that's the first moment that you don't want to roll on cameras, but over the years we've learned that's the moment that you roll on cameras. So walk me through some of those moments that you've had where things have gone the, absolutely the wrong way, but have made for some of the best, <laughs> best uh, filming that you've done. Oh, that's such a good that question. That is a good question. Um, there's there, I can think of a few moments when we didn't roll cameras. Okay. <laughs> um, and really it was, it wasn't because we didn't want to, it was because it, it you know, a lot of those heavy discussions and, and topics come up when, when everything lets down and relaxes and things like that. But, um, you know, like we had a really solid conversation in Coldfoot, Alaska one time. It wasn't on film. 
And uh, this is crazy. It was, uh, we were sitting in there in the, the, the truck stop at Coldfoot, Alaska. And we were just, we're about episode six. And we were just kind of hitting, our, hitting the wall and sorting a lot of uh, in, interpersonal conflicts out. And every expedition goes through three phases. It's, you got your honeymoon stage, you got your storming stage, and then you have your machine stage. And uh, depending on how long you've been doing things, you want to move through those first two steps as quickly as possible. You want to get to that machine stage. Everything's running like a top. Um, we were going through that storming stage at yeah. this time. We were getting some stuff figured out and uh, having this really, really good, mature conversation, being very frank with each other and working through it. And I remember just being almost overwhelmed by that conversation at the time. And then there's these two guys that were at the back of the the restaurant that, well, they weren't too far from us. It's a small place. Yeah. And this guy walks up and he says, you know, I don't know what you guys are doing but it sounds really important and you need to really keep working at it because I think whatever this is, you have to keep going at it. Mm-hmm. And he says, my friend over here, he's an actor and uh, he's had to work through a lot of stuff to get to where he is. And I looked up and it was, it was Sean, Sean uh, Bean. I forget his name. Honestly, from Lord of the Rings I just know him from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> what, what character did he play? He was, uh, which the, one? Uh, so he was in the Fellowship of the of the Ring. Yeah, he wanted. He was the one. The king, and he was the king in uh, who, Game of Thrones. Oh, initial. Yeah. Well, in, in in the game in in the comments below, I'm sure somebody will know who yeah. that yeah. is. So let, yeah. let us know, please. Anyway, yeah. he just looks up and like there he was, and yeah. he just goes, mm-hmm, yeah. you know. <laughs> and so you know, from that day, that you never know the people that'll come into your life and and keep, you know encouraging you in a certain way, a random place in Coldfoot, Alaska. That's the middle of nowhere. So, so I'm, that, I'm that's t- one. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to tell you my Coldfoot story. Um, oh, you got was, one. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was a very embarrassing story. So we took a Jeep Wrangler and drove it to the 50 highest points in all 50 States. And me and my son, Tommy, were doing Alaska and Alaska. It's Erdogan pass. Denali is the tallest, right? But you can't drive up it. And Erdogan right. pass is like, I don't know. It's like a hundred miles past Coldfoot, right? You've probably been yep. over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're feeling like pretty hardcore. We have this Jeep and, you know, we're, we're trucking down the Dalton Highway. We get to Coldfoot and I'm feeling like all full of myself. Like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty hardcore. And then I look and there's this little Miata that's kind of trucking down from the north, <laughs> right, from Prudhoe Bay with the spare tire in the passenger seat because you're supposed to have a spare tire covered yeah. in mud, top down, like 40 degrees. And it was top gear. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh. I am nothing. Just more respect for what they did because you've done what you've done and you're like, yeah, yep. that's pretty legit. And then what they just did, yeah, yeah. respect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only they would take a Miata, you know, on this, on this pretty, well, the, the road's not bad, but the trucks are dangerous, right? You got these trucks that fly yeah. down the road and Absolutely. don't give a rat's ass about anybody else. Nope. Yeah. Right, exactly. this, but, let me get off my world and let's go back to your world. Um, so uh, having decided that you were going to go all the way, you know, down to Tierra de Fuego, right? Was that the the eventual goal? Yeah, it was a lofty mm-hmm. goal at the time. We were like, I remember talking at the time, like, hey, if we get up to Prudhoe Bay, at least it sets us up to be able to tackle that eventually. And it wasn't, yeah. I mean, we knew how much work it took to get that current season going. And then thinking to get all the way down to Ushuaia, Argentina, just seemed mm-hmm. impossible at the time, but you never know. So we, we, we literally did it because you never know. 
Yep. And uh, then it took it took seven years to complete that goal. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that, so, that so, is where it bit us. Yeah. Go ahead. So l- let's take a quick step back because I'm sure there are people out there who, who look at you guys and, and say, these guys are living my dream uh, and they would love to be able to do that. But, you know, to, 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 to do it and to do it as a business are mm-hmm. two different things, right? And yeah. so yeah. I think the business must start with getting sponsorship and that's, that's kind of your world. So tell me how you went about getting initially Toyota to sponsor you uh, and, and getting the rigs that you needed and getting the financing to actually go and do this. Because it's not only are you spending a lot of money doing the project, but you're also spending a lot of money potentially on equipment and vehicles and gear. So how do you, how do you knock on that door and say, hey, yeah. we're going to go, we've got this little YouTube channel and we want to drive <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, it's, tens it's, of thousands of miles and, and give us a new, yeah. new vehicle to do it. Yeah, it you know, those things do not happen overnight. I think that's a misconception a lot of people can have as they see, um, even you, you know, you have a successful YouTube show or whatever people see and they think, oh, well, that just happened. Um, Same thing with sponsorships. These, we started this with a goal with Expedition Overland is we wanted to be the best, have the best quality. Um, We wanted family-friendly content. We wanted to not show, um, have a show that felt like it was, produced content necessarily we wanted to dramatize yeah we wanted to show what was happening but we also knew we couldn't afford to do it ourselves so I would say the one thing we did do is we invested in ourselves first Mm -hmm. so we went out and started doing it and then showed sponsors what we had already done so that they get hundreds of questions a day of hey I have this idea I have this idea but there's not a lot of people that are actually doing it paying for it saving up money however you do it and then show them a finished product of what it could look like and, and how far you could go yeah. with it. Proof of concept. Yes. We did proof. Of, we did two episodes of proof of concept before we started pitching it. And we, we call that season zero. It's our first six mm-hmm. episodes from 10 years ago. And we did the first two on our own dime and uh, we got our feet wet and then we took it to people and said, Hey, this is what we're looking at doing. And then that's when ex officio came on and, mm-hmm. and uh, max tracks and, and others. And um, then from there we, we just kept developing it. And then when we went to Alaska, having a big idea actually really helped. Um, mm-hmm. After we had a small win in our, our six part series then we were able to go back and say, okay, this is what we did with six part series. We're working our way towards a big one. Will you take the plunge with us? And this is how much it's going to cost. And then eventually we, you know, we kind of figured it out. Okay. It's going to cost X. And it was a lot. I mean, it made my head spin when I figured it out, but we're like, we got to do it. And we're, we're going to have to commit somehow. And I remember we drew a figurative line across the table and all of a said, even if we don't get all the money, are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. Because we can't not do it. You know, and we all figuratively stepped across the line and says, yeah, we're going to get this done no matter what. And we came in to the dime on what we needed to raise that year. Yeah. And I would say the other thing we did with Toyota is we, we've been Toyota enthusiasts for a long Mm -hmm. time. And we actually went out and purchased that brand new 2013 Toyota Tacoma, which was a huge risk for us. Uh, Clay and I had never bought an a new car in our lives. Yep, never had. But he knew that you have all these sponsors looking to get their equipment on these new platforms at the time. And so he's like, I just feel like it's gonna, it'll work. Yep. 
And so we went and bought that Tacoma ourselves. And we'd bought all of our trucks up until then ourselves as well. And just continued to show Toyota what we were doing. And we knew that the audience hopefully would speak up as well. Like, check these guys out. They're running Toyotas and look what they're doing. And, and it probably took us, let's see, Alaska was 2013. I can tell you it took us five years. Five years to finally get to, a deal with Toyota. To be at together. the table with Toyota. Yeah. And uh, uh, what we were fortunate made me feel better. We, we were able to go see uh, this man named Warren Miller. He made ski films for years. Yeah, he's out of Boulder, actually, where I'm at. Yeah, so he had a house just outside of Bozeman here, up at the Yellowstone Club, and we went up there for tea one day Yeah, and um, sat with him. And he said, so who are you sponsored by? Because he, he ran sponsorships. He had Nissan for years. And I said, oh, we got, we got Toyota this year. And he's like, Awesome. How long have you been doing this? He said, I said, five years. And he said, oh man, it took me seven to get Nissan. <laughs> so I was like, all right. I was, I beat Warren Miller by two years. I'm getting a car manufacturer. But uh, when we did get to the table of Toyota, they said they've been watching for at least a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So they've been watching our content. They've been following us and seeing what we were doing. And, you know, Toyota is a very conservative company. And they, they, they watched from the shadows and said, yes, we've, we've seen the trend. So you never know who's out there watching what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to have the, the long game in mind. If you, if you're only looking at the next video or the next season, mm -hmm. you're, you're too short sighted. You're not going to get those big deals because they take years to produce. So let's talk about the, the, the vehicles and the rigs that you've built. So let's yeah. start with the basic question. Why Toyota? Why not, you know, Chevy, Ford, you name it. Sure. We always had Toyotas. Mm -hmm. um, I almost bought a Land Rover when I was 16. And uh, it was a Land Rover Discovery 2. Mm -hmm. And I think, and it was a 96. I do remember this. And I, I went and I started looking at all the reviews. And I was so new to all this. I had a Bronco 2 at the time. A, Ford, a 1982 Bronco 2 was my first car. And I started looking around. And I was like, oh, maybe this Land Rover would be cool because, you know, frankly, they looked the part, you mm -hmm. know, they look good. They're a good looking car and they, they look like adventure. And I wanted that. And so I, I did the reviews, looked into them and found out how abysmal the <laughs> reviews were and how, oh, and it had this problem. And they, they're practically all lemons from the, you know, I can remember these things as I went through, okay, so I don't want that car, I guess. And Everyone's saying Toyota, 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 Toyota. If you want this, you want to go to mm -hmm. Toyota. Plus, you were dating me, and my dad's a mechanic. And he's a Toyota fan. And my dad had always told me, buy Honda or Toyota, because mm -hmm. they're the most reliable. And he, I'd watched him work on these trucks and these cars my whole life. So that, so that, was, that yeah. pushed us into it. And the mm -hmm. first, let's see, my when I was in mountaineering school, I came back. My dad had bought a 1994 Forerunner. So that's technically the first car. Mm-hmm. And that I had and uh then rolled that over into a ninety-six forerunner. Yep. And we loved that car. We went on our honeymoon and all kinds of we had, that was our first family car. And then we got into the trucks, our first Tacoma, and then that Tacoma, uh the two thousand one is what we sold, put the money in the bank and paid for the twenty thirteen Tacoma in the show. So that's how mm -hmm. we progressed. So but we got into Toyotas because of their reliability. Yep. And they held, they seem to hold their value mm -hmm, really too. well. So it allowed us to be able to run them for a few years, sell them 
put it into the next one. Yep. Keep going. Yep. All right. So I have to ask you this question and we'll get into yep. the other rigs that you've built out because you've kind of expanded beyond just Toyota's recently. Yep. But Toyota builds some of the best overlanding off-road vehicles. Now I'm going to ask both of you, if you could only have one of them, okay? And we're talking <laughs> a choice of four and you've had all four. So there's a Tacoma, there's a Tundra, there's a Forerunner, and there's a Land Cruiser. I'm not going to go with like RAV4 because, you know, that's a whole different ball of wax. But out of yep. those four, Clay, which one would you take if you could only have one to go around the world? 200 Series Land Cruiser, hands down. All right, there you go. How about you? <laughs> oh, I'm torn because I want to say the 200 Series Land Cruiser because it's amazing to go around the world with. But I love the Forerunner. Mm. I just have a personal attachment to the Forerunner I have since I was in junior high. So I'm going to go with Forerunner just to be different. Yeah, and, the, <laughs> and the, um, the scuttlebutt out there, the rumor is that the next generation Land Cruiser is going to be a twin, potentially a twin turbo V6. Um, so, you know, we're going to go away from that big old V8 that it's had for the last 10 years. Uh, so we'll see what, what ends up happening. But what, why the Land Cruiser? What is, what's the magic of that vehicle? Why is that the one that, why, why is that the poster child for over finding? Sure. Well, um, I'm going to get, hopefully I'll get most of this accurate, but uh, <laughs> in Toyota, to be on the Land Cruiser team is like the highest honor. Like you don't just go get put on the, the Land Cruiser team. You have to be vetted. You have to be brought up through Toyota. And then you are basically honored by receiving a position on the Toyota Land Cruiser design team. The, Toyota itself views the Land Cruiser as their top apex vehicle. And they build those vehicles, like the 100 series was built for half a million miles of serviceable miles in a third world country. That was its design service life. Tell me what other car in the U.S. is built to those specs to run half a million miles in a third world country. You know, I don't know. I don't know. So the components are built to handle that, to, to meet all those um, specs and then the 200 was above and beyond that and i got to meet uh coriari son uh one year at sema and we we sat and chatted with him he was the lead designer of the 200 series and he said this is the finest land cruiser we've ever built it is the strongest land cruiser we've ever built so being to, able to talk to them and see how they're built how over built they are it's a no-brainer that that's the one I'd take around the world. Mm -hmm. right. So I did, I did a story a couple yeah. of years ago on the Oshkosh JLTV, which is the vehicle that's replacing the Hummer, the joint light tactical vehicle. So that yeah. might be one okay. that's <laughs> to that standard, but that's the only way I can think of it. Okay, how about you? Why, why, why the Forerunner and not the Land Cruiser? Uh, component wise, I, yeah. I, the Land Cruiser is amazing. Um, I'm going to speak on both just for a second. Um, part of that third world country is travel is you can find parts really easily. You can source those parts anywhere. And that's something to keep in mind when you're taking a vehicle overseas. Yep. Um, does that country have those parts easily accessible? Um, but for me, I just my own personal, I like smaller vehicles. I like a little smaller SUV. I'm more of a lead foot <laughs> when I drive. So I like to be able to whip around and get around things. Um, I think the foreigner is just a great I mean, like the Land Cruiser, you can throw tires on it and go pretty much anywhere. Yep. You've got good clearance. You've got transfer case, low transfer case. You can, you know. It's got it all. It's got it all. So I 
personally, it's an, it's an aesthetic smallness to it that I just love. I love the coziness of it. I love that it's just a little smaller. And the Forerunner is incredibly well built. It's still it built is. in the Japanese plants. Mm-hmm. And there's just something about those trucks that come out of the Japanese plants that are, yeah, they're, they're just really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Land Cruiser and the uh, Lexus version of it, right, uh, are built yep. in their own plant. And that, and that plant yep. is- Their own plant. Yeah. Yep. It's the, um, it's, it's the top plant in the Toyota, you know, family of, of uh, construction plants, production yep. plants. All right. Yep. So when you guys started, right, 10 years ago, um, overlanding, uh, it was kind of a thing in Australia, I would say, probably in South Africa, right? A lot of the things that people mm-hmm. now are using here in America, like the rooftop tent, actually came out of those countries. Yep. So you yep. kind of had to either borrow it or reinvent it, right? Setting up that vehicle for the trip. So how did you go about doing that? How did you know, you know, how to set it up, how to get all the gear in place, what gear you needed? Was that a learning process or was that something that, 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 that you knew from the get-go? Mm. No, it certainly wasn't anything I learned from the get-go. I, I would have to, you know, we all learn from somebody and we all get in, are influenced by someone. And I, I'd kick this back up the food chain and I'd go to Scott Brady. Mm-hmm. So I watched Scott Brady and Overland Journal and, and followed Expedition Portal, you know, things like that, and just gleaned everything I could from what those guys were doing. I was reading articles, and and uh, then beyond that, we were looking at, you know, you could, thank goodness for the internet, because you could look into Australia, you could look into South Africa and find a bunch of stuff. So that's where the, the learning curve initially came from was Scott, and then, um, yeah, just the forums. The forums are still a real big deal, but back mm-hmm. then they were it you know there wasn't any facebook pages or groups or YouTube instagram videos. wasn't a thing and it was yeah youtube videos were limited to two minutes or three minutes at the time you know so you really had to like go down those deep dark black holes of <laughs> threads and and uh, pick stuff apart and that's that's really how we learned it and then school of hard knocks you know go yeah. buy something and then oh it doesn't mount and then you got you solve the next problem and then solve the next problem and eventually Mm-hmm. You've learned a lot of ways of how not to do something and one great way of how to do it eventually. Right, we so learned really quickly how heavy a rooftop tent is to mount on the top of your vehicle mm-hmm. when you've never done it before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they weigh like 100 pounds. People don't realize just how, how heavy they are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so if, if somebody's out there watching this or listening to it and they want to set up their own overland rig, what would be your biggest piece of advice that you would give them? Mm. My advice is buy and build your vehicle based off the experiences that you're having, not necessarily the experience that you want. Um, you can you can do that, but uh, you know, overland vehicles are expensive to build. But why are you building it? Hopefully, you're building it to go and have an experience and travel and see the world. So start with what you got mm-hmm. and go see the world, and then build your vehicle off of the experiences that you're having. So like, okay, I need, I was doing more rough trails. Okay. So get a taller tire and think about suspension because that's foundational. Then maybe get a fridge and use a ground tent for a while or, or whatever, you know, but just keep going and Mm -hmm. going on these trips and getting that experience and build off of that. Yeah. To echo that, I would say the biggest questions we see and and the biggest hesitancy with people and maybe you see this too Roman is people say oh well someday I'll do that or well I'll build it and then I'll go Mm -hmm. and it's kind of changing that process in your mind to hey I'm gonna go and then figure out to an extent you need to still be smart about it don't put yourself in a situation you shouldn't be in 
but you learn so much by going and taking notes of, oh, I wish I could see how a fridge would come in handy. That would be really important to me. Or yeah, I want to do more off-roading. That recovery is more important to me. So I feel more confident. I need to learn more about that. And then you kind of build as you go. Instead of throwing everything on your truck and then going, you're going to run into a lot of problems. It's expensive. And you might not need all that stuff that you put on your truck. Whereas if you just go and figure that out, you've, you will have a much Certainly better Certainly the experience. most efficient way to build a truck, cost-wise yeah. and time-wise. Yeah. I started dirt biking as a kid, and so I've always had this fascination of going around the world on a motorcycle. It's been kind of uh, a yeah, dream. I love it. And I've done a little bit of it, nothing. I have actually a neighbor who went to all four corners from Colorado. So he went to Nova Scotia. He went to um, Alaska, you know, as far as you can go down Baja. Um, but I had a friend who, who was an engineer, oil exploration engineer, and Colorado's kind of this bloomer bus state depending on the oil prices. And for a while, oil prices went down. So he got a, a BMW uh, 650 Dakar and loaded it up and rode it all the way down to Terra de Fuego and, and came back and I had breakfast with him. And I was like, hey, you live my dream. You got to do this you know, incredible thing. And, yeah. he, and, I, and I was like, I was so impressed and I was so over the moon. And he, he taught me an important lesson because I said, what was it like? He said, it was no good. It was really not what I expected. And what he did was he didn't give himself enough time to do it, right? And so, mm. so he, 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 he had like two months to do that. And he said he always felt rushed. He could never stop where like he was on some beautiful beach in Baja with the whales and he just had to keep going. Uh, and so how, how important is giving yourself enough time? You know, I, I know you guys are doing video production, but is that an important factor where you don't feel like, you know, I have to fit this in between, you know, getting to work again. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Have the luxury of time. That is the biggest drawback of what mm -hmm. we do. We don't For have sure. the time that it requires to truly absorb and soak in a place. If you were to be able to travel as a vagabonder, you know, like at, with the whims of the day, Yeah, you yeah. can't do that. You know, we are on a schedule. We have hard points in and out flights. Uh, have a production schedule. We're on a limited budget. You know, we can produce X amount of, we can be in the field shooting for X amount of time. Otherwise, you know, it's gonna, we're not gonna have the money to do it or whatever, you know. So we do have all those restraints. And uh, that is the biggest drawback to the film production side. However, I wouldn't trade it because that is the way that it has, I have been able to travel. So. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gotten a situation where you felt unsafe or do you, for the most part, feel safe when you're in these countries, you know, because you've got expensive rigs, you've probably got yeah. cash on you, right? Because you have to have cash at some yeah. point. A lot of places yep. won't take credit cards. So do you ever feel, have you been in a situation where you felt that, you know, this is probably something that's getting a little sketchy? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mexico, mainland Mexico has been probably the, the two areas that we've seen the most consistent, like, uh, I don't know you don't. Uh, what would you call it? We call it. We got to stay frosty, but it's <laughs> it got a little uh, it got a little frosty several times in Mexico. Yeah. Um, El Salvador was pretty rough. We were only there for three days, and I mean, we were, you know, at the time. And these countries changed so much, so it may not be that way now. But mm -hmm. you know, from the airport, from the hotel to the airport, there was three dead bodies in the street, and that was like fifteen kilometers. You know, there was a lot going on in El Salvador when we were there. We didn't stay there long. Um, our biggest run-in was in Peru. Mm -hmm. We had, uh, we still don't know the whole situation, but uh, we did have three police officers come into our camp in the middle of the night. And uh, long story short, short they uh, had either negligently discharged their firearm 
before they came into camp, and that's how we all knew they were coming. But we didn't know who they were. We, and, uh, we, you know, I, I pulled up the night vision and saw three guys walking into camp with weapons drawn, an AK-47 and, uh, mm-hmm. and two pistols. And we're like, I mean, it got pretty – it got pretty, uh, got pretty salty real. there for a second. Uh, yeah. You know, at one time we were all on our knees with three guys behind us with their weapons on us. And, you know, we got it all sorted out. It, it ended up being a major miscommunication of some sort. But, you know, it's still, I remember when they were unloading their guns, the commander said, you know, go ahead and unload your guns. And every one of them dropped their mag and dropped the round on the ground when they were cleaning their weapons. You could just see them all shaking. You know, so they were hopped up. We were, you just never know how close you are to making the wrong move and getting mm-hmm. shot there. But uh, that's really in all, in all of our experiences, you know, we've been traveling the world for 10, even more than that in crazy places too, like Uganda and Russia. And mm-hmm. um, those are the, you know, really that one time is the worst that I've ever encountered. So to answer your question, I typically do feel very safe in the mm-hmm. rest of the world. People are just living their lives. Mm-hmm. And what's the adage? It's a 5%, you know, 95% of people are good. Mm-hmm. And the 5% of bad people live in 5% of the land on earth. So avoid those 5%, 5% of those people by avoiding that 5% of the land. And that's the rough spots of town. That's the south side of the tracks. That's, yep. you just avoid those places and you're going to avoid 90%, 95% of the problems. Yep. We, yeah. uh, we also have a really high protocol within our team is when we're coming into someone else's country, that is not our country. That is their country. We are guests in their house. And mm-hmm. so we um, try very hard to be very honoring of whoever we come in contact. We're very polite, very respectful. Um, a lot of times we'll actually bring little gifts and just that act, I think of humility goes a really long way. Um, we talk to locals very quickly of, Hey, is there anywhere we shouldn't go? We should, or places we should see. And they Mm -hmm. will tell you, they will be the first to say, you guys need to move along or Hey guys, don't go to that side of town. Stay over here. Uh, they want to, they want you to have a good experience because you're in their country and they want you to come back and they want you to tell good things about their country. So absolutely. Um, I think of the the time in Colombia, you know, everyone's like, Oh, Colombia, the the cocaine and all the cartel stuff. And when we were down there, we met up with an off-road group down there. Mm-hmm. And they, all of them said, thank you for coming to my country. I hope you love my country. Go and tell the world what Colombia is really like. Mm-hmm. You know, Favorite and place. Yeah. We lo- I can't wait to go back to Colombia someday. Yeah, it's incredible. So uh, you guys have kind of moved, uh, I should say beyond, but you've also kind of expanded into different vehicles besides Toyotas. So, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, work with AEV. Uh, t- talk to you about those vehicles. How, how have you liked the Gladiator? How have you liked the Ram trucks? And why have you gone, you know, past Toyota or, be, you know, expanded outside of Toyota? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let's back up on mindset okay. because it's mindset that has really caused a lot of this expansion. So last year we got, you know, we, we did, we got into powered paragliding. So, mm-hmm. you know, a wing and a power and a fan on your back and went flying. Uh, we got into a Gladiator. Um, and it was all based off of wanting to expand our horizons and get as much, I don't know, just knowledge and a full breadth of understanding across a lot of different platforms and, uh, adventure, I don't know, practices, Mm -hmm. you know, so this year, you know, we just got a motorcycle, 
Um, we branched into the full size trucks. Yeah, one motorcycle. I bought a, uh, I had a, a dear friend of mine passed away last year and he had just bought a KTM 690. Yeah, so, I have that bike. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. I just, I was just able to pick need up to go riding. the KTM 690. Yeah. yeah I love awesome. that bike. It's a great bike. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm learning to ride a bike and then we got into the full size with the prospector. Uh, mm -hmm. We worked with AEV on that and that, we're just expanding our horizons. We're seeing what's out there so that we can relate and understand, you know, I've never owned a Jeep. So, you know, you always hear about this Jeep thing. Mm -hmm. Well, the only way to understand it and really connect with it and have an opinion on it is to go buy one and own one, you know, and see what, what it's like. And, and what do you think? Do you like the gladiator? Or are you, is that? Man, it's, it's a totally different animal than anything <laughs> I've been driving before, you know? <laughs> That's and one way I, to put it. <laughs> it's uh, it, you know, I have a, a love-hate relationship with it. I'm still like figuring out how reliable it is and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But my Ram has been like, I've got 50,000 miles on it right now and I've never had a single problem with it. It's been bomber. So I don't know. It's just different. And I'm loving how different all of it is. Yeah. You know, it, we took the doors off one day and we're like, I get this. This yeah. is a lot of fun. This is really fun. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Have you taken the roof off yet or not? They haven't gone that far. We haven't taken, we've always had a roof rack on it. So yeah. we haven't taken the roof off. Should I take the roof off? Is that the next step? Am I missing out? You know, so, so you know, the magic of, of Jeeps is the same magic that Harley has, right? And the magic of Harley's is that you can make it your own. And yeah. to some extent you can make a Tacoma or a Forerunner your own, but not to the same extent that you can make a Jeep your own, right? The, the aftermarket sure. is so huge. So yeah. you can take this thing and then you could, you could make it into whatever you want it to be. Uh, and that's a whole different, I think, magic than Toyota, right? Toyota is, is about yep. the reliability. It's about, um, it's about, you know, never breaking down. But Jeep is more about like showing off and making, making it be part of your personality. So that, that's where the magic comes in, I think, with, with a lot of, especially Wranglers and Gladiators. Well, I think we that did a sense. good job. I think our Gladiator is pretty showy. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Uh, so I think we did a good job there. Uh, but, you know, we're not completely, you know, I would be open to expanding even more. I wouldn't mind looking at building a, um, like a, a bison, mm -hmm. you know, down the road and playing with the diesel. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. Um, learn more about motorcycles. There's a, you know, what if we got into really big stuff down the line? Like, could we get a unimog someday and play on that spectrum mm -hmm. you know there's all kinds of stuff and it's all fun and uh you know shelly's been working with lexus over the last two years she's going to be racing again with them this year mm -hmm. so we're still tied into the toyota lexus world um but yeah it's all about expanding our horizons and keeping our knowledge base as wide as it can be that's why we've gone to these other platforms and practices so mm -hmm. yeah always learning there's always something to always learn always learning all right, in, in the last few minutes that we have before we run out of time, let's talk yeah. about kind of tips for uh, young and or old budding overlanders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll just go. I'll just go down and, and I'll ask you questions and then you answer. Okay. So rooftop tent yeah. or ground tent? Which one's better? What What are the What are the perks and downsides of both? Sure. Ooh. You want to go? Yeah, uh, okay. I'd say for me, for a female perspective, rooftop tents feel safer. Not that they are, but you have that just little extra sense of security. You have a built-in mattress. You can, most of them, you can leave your sleeping bag and pillow in them when you shut it up for the night. 
So it takes out a lot of that, you know, packing your sleeping bag, rolling up your sleeping pad, all of that. Um, downside is it adds weight to your roof. So you got to have that in mind. How much weight are you adding to the top of your vehicle? Are you doing a lot of off-road? Are you doing dune driving? All that stuff. So I still like the rooftop tent. Yeah. Now a rooftop tent has, in our experience, been really great for teams of people or families or individuals that are on the move. Yeah. If, you, if you're going in, you're camping somewhere, you sleep for the night, you set up camp, and then the next day you're packing up and moving. Mm-hmm. Really great for that. You know, because the setup's really easy. Level your truck, open your tent, you're there. Uh, but if you're base camping or you're going to be in a place for an extended period of time, and that's kind of the typical way you're moving around, then a rooftop tent can become a drag because you got to pick it up. You got to put it away before you move your vehicle. Yeah. So, at, you know, that's where trailers can come involved and all, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of stuff, but that's kind of the, the benefit. Fast moving world rooftop tents really shine. Yep. If it's a budget thing, just grab a ground tent, throw it in your car or sleep in the back of your car yep. just to get you out. So when I went out with you guys for a couple of days, you guys cooked some incredible meals. I mean, it was like being at a five-star restaurant, but I'm guessing that was because it was a Toyota trip and, uh, you know, we, we got special, <laughs> a little bit of special treatment. So what is the best overlanding food? What, what are the best tips for, you know, keeping healthy and hopefully mm-hmm. happy uh, dining when you're crossing large stretches of continents? Sure. That's an awesome question. Um, we try to have, when we're really moving on our film production and our schedules, we try to at least have a really good meal. Is it every two nights or every three mm-hmm. nights? Yeah, I, I would say you probably hit it every two. Yeah, just to keep morale up. Um, so one of my favorite things to do is I get the pork tenderloin roast from Costco. Mm-hmm. I think you get two to a pack. And I will actually pre-grill those before we leave to like a rare. And um, you can either leave it whole or chop it up. But then I take that with, um, put it in Ziplocs, put it in the fridge. And then when you get to camp, the bulk of that cooking is done. And you can add that pork to, you could do tacos, you could throw it in chili, you can put in eggs in the morning. So finding those kind of meats and meals that can play on a large spectrum is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're in other countries, you're at the mercy of what you can find in the grocery store. So produce can be a little more tricky. If you trust the water or not, bring your own bottle of water, you could wash it. But we try to always cook our veggies that we buy. Yep. Um, and you, you got about three days typically in the rest of the world to eat that produce too. But when you're traveling and you're doing a lot of, you know, going in between towns and stuff, that's never really a big deal because mm-hmm. you got markets and you can just run by the side of the street. I and think pick it's something fun. Out. It is. It's really part of the fun. You get really creative. Yeah. And then when you go long term, you kind of stock up, go in deep somewhere. And then once you run out, you run out. But uh, that that's what you're getting at is some pre-cooked stuff mm-hmm. and you can do that on the big road too. Like yeah. when you're, when you're out traveling, stop for a day, stop for an afternoon. We've cooked a lot of bulk meals in a Walmart parking lot. Yep. <laughs> Go in there, you make a bunch of stuff and then you freeze it and you put it in your freezers or whatever. And then you're good for the next three, four, five days yep. of pre-made stuff that you've done. Cause you, you just set aside the time, got them 90% of the way so that now when you're out on the trail, it's a lot easier to just pop that out thawed out, cook it the rest of the way, and you have a great meal that didn't take you all day to make. Yeah, you did. You definitely did get the special treatment. You got you all of our good meals in a very short amount Any, of time. Anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me happy. 
I couldn't <laughs> wait for, uh, for, for mealtime. That was the best time of the, awesome. of the whole day. All right. <laughs> so if, if people are out there thinking about going uh, and traveling across country or across continents, um, what kind of um, preventative maintenance and then what kind of spare parts should they be thinking about bringing uh, along mm. with them? Because yeah. obviously some places you probably can't get the parts that break. In other words, you know, what do you do before you go out? And then when you're on the road, what tends to break the most and what, what are the failure points? Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So anything high frequency of use is your fail point. So suspension, tires, um, and then any sort of thing you use all the time, you know, mm -hmm. the tires and the suspension are hitting every square foot of mile on that trip. So uh, having really good stuff there, starting off with really good components is going to get you a long ways. Um, and then um, just watching it and, and learning vehicle sympathy. So there's so many things before you get to having to carry spare parts that you should be thinking about. And that is mechanical sympathy. Learn to drive your car to preserve it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. keep it as light as possible because weight shortens the life of all those components. If your truck's overladen, it's just going to wear out faster. Mm. Um, and because of that idea, we have actually held back from a lot of spare part hauling because that just adds weight to the parts that we're going to replace. So what we have carried in the past is a full change oil change because we had to do it in the field somewhere and we store all of the oil in the engine bay in containers. A lot of people don't know where to put it. Well, there's all kinds of nooks and crannies that well, your, you know, your quartz will fit up in the engine bay. Um, standard stuff like belts. Mm -hmm. They can fail anywhere. You can get a bad one. It's got a short service life for some reason. Have a second belt. They're cheap. Um, suspension, you can usually limp out for a while. So we don't really, unless it's something pretty extreme where we have a, a higher rate of or, you know, that something will fail, then we might carry a spare. But if not, we, we rely on that. We could limp out somewhere and fix something. And all of those mindsets keep the vehicle as light as possible. Um, do you do CV? Hmm? Do you do extra CV axles or CV boots? We haven't done extra CV boots. You know, a lot of preventative maintenance back to your question. It would be, you know, if, if it's questionable before you leave, put the time in. Mm -hmm. and, and service it before you leave. Brand new CV axle before you go on a three-month trip, mm -hmm. probably never going to fix it because it's brand new and it's good to go and you didn't have to haul the part. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. It's kind of a mindset. You kind of learn your truck. And then the next thing you could do is you can go to the down, go down to the dealer. If you got a good guy at the dealer, always take care of your guy at the dealer. Because <laughs> then you go down there and you ask him, hey, John, Bob, what are the top 10 things that you stock on this vehicle mm. in your stockpile here that uh, you see your service department replacing a lot? Mm -hmm. And then hopefully Jim Bob just says, oh, well, let me look it up. And he pulls up the stocks and he's like, well, we make sure that we always have, you know, a front brake caliper for this truck or this or that. And then you go, hmm, okay. And then you can make your decisions off of that. But um, mm -hmm. Yeah take care of it really well. We maintain our trucks like an airplane. And if you do that, you really rarely have any problems in the field. Mm -hmm. I would, oh, I would um, say the same could apply. Oops, sorry, Roman. No, go ahead. Um, same could apply too for your daily driver. Cause I know a lot yep. of the general audience, a lot of these trucks are also used as your daily driver. Mm -hmm. So maintain those, maintain the oil change, maintain, uh, keep an eye on your vehicle, make sure your brakes are good. All of that, 
all of those things will play into when you want to take it on that month long trip. Yep. So I'm going to touch back upon what you said before, yeah. uh, but you know, my wife and I cannot work together. We've tried. So how do you <laughs> manage to work together and not have that stormy part of the uh, expedition last for too long and tear your relationship <laughs> apart? How, how do you guys manage that? That's a good question. We've, well, we've definitely had our moments. Well, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Shirley's always been right. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, no, it's not true. Not at all. This is, uh, so we're very proactive with our marriage. And uh, for years we went to counseling mm -hmm. and made sure that we were running at uh, the best of our abilities. We, we handle any conflict the best we can. We address conflict right away. And um, I think that's been really good. And we've known each other for a long time. We're mm -hmm. high school sweethearts. We started, I was 17. You, would, you were 15 when mm -hmm. we started dating. Yep. Back in the um, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've been, <laughs> totally. we've been together for a long time. Yeah. And uh, the other, the best, one of the best pieces of marriage advice I ever got, and this applies to everything. It's not just marriage. This applies to expedition behavior, working in a team and everything. Mm -hmm. Be a lot of people have that 50-50 mentality. Well, I'm doing my part. You're not doing your part, so I'm not going to do mine. That's wrong. It's all wrong. Be 100%, 100%. Your job is to always be 100% for the other person, no matter what. Even if they're not pulling all their weight, your job is still to be 100%. Mm -hmm. So when you have that respect and that knowledge that you just better be pulling your weight and being 100% for them, it's amazing how much uh, conflict goes away. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say too, we, we are fortunate in that we, we can spend a lot of time together mm -hmm. and not get sick of each other, but we're also, we fall into that best friend role really easily. And I think we've known each other so long. We were actually long distance in high school. So it built, helped us build a really good foundation. We wrote a lot of letters. We did a lot of phone calls. It just laid a great foundation for our relationship. And I think we've always just had, we're both independent in our own ways. And we've, how long have we been married? Six, 16 years? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> just like blanked on how long we've been married. Going on 17. Going on 17 years. Uh, but I would say respect is really high. It's something we value really highly in our home and with each other. So um, it, there was definitely a shift as we started going more full-time with XO and I started going more, more full-time as the kids got older. We mm -hmm. kind of, our, I remember one of the things our counselor told us that helped was like, do I have my work hat on now? Is this a work question or is this like a personal home question. And that helped me yeah. because if, if Clay is critiquing a business decision, he's not critiquing me as his wife. This is a business decision and both ways. So that helped me kind of differentiate the two. So I wouldn't take everything personal. Yeah. And, and, and that didn't happen overnight. No, you know, and it's both, I have to do that too. And you know, it took time, but we were proactive and trying to mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, yeah, what hat are you wearing? And, yeah. and it has worked out Lot. Well, now it's almost seamless. Like we just kind of know. Yeah. Now that you said that, I'm. <laughs> She's like, mm, I'm not sure. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> all right. And the yeah. last question has to be. Yeah. Has to be. Um, you know, now we're all kind of homebound, and you guys are out there with a lot of great content. So if you guys need something to take your time, go to your YouTube channel, Expedition Overland, or go to Amazon Prime. Uh, do a yeah. search. Yep. You've got a lot of the episodes. Is it all of them or is it, how, how many were up there? I've, I've been on, on prime. We have uh, the trilogy, the Pan American trilogy yeah. mm -hmm. trilogy. So Alaska, Yukon, Central America and South America. Yep. Yeah. And it, 
So it's all there. Yep. Uh, but what are you guys watching in terms Ooh. of planning? Is there, is there anything that you're out there kind of reading or watching uh, in your kind of world? I'm really enjoying seeing a lot of these. Don't say Tiger King. <laughs> no, we're not Tiger. I have not seen that. <laughs> we have not watched that. <laughs> Um, let's see, what are we watching? We were watching this cool Nat Geo show on uh, oh, the Arctic. The Arctic, yeah, Arctic. Yeah. That's Continent Seven. That's been really cool. We 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 like documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, as much as I'd like to say we watch, you know, all these people we watch TV, we don't watch TV that much, even though we produce it. We're just <laughs> so. So I'll give you some some other ideas if you love this. Yeah. Kind yes, of please. Stuff. Yeah, yes. I don't know the name of it, but the, you know, I grew up in the Czech Republic, and a very popular car there was a Trabant, which is this little crappy East German car that was a two-stroke engine. And there was this guy, <laughs> like maybe 10, 15 years ago, who took a bunch of Trabants and drove it from Germany all the way to like um, Hong Kong or someplace. Um, wow. it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's more of a reality show than a, a, you know, like it's very different from you. But if you love that kind of that kind of, it's like Trabant. It, the, the, the word Trabant is in the, is in the show. Okay. So, okay. So I have to check this out. Netflix or on Amazon, I forget, but it's hilarious. And they had this old Mercedes um, uh, uh, Kungvi, which is, you know, the, the wagon is there um, with, uh, with active suspension as their support car. And, you know, it's all about the <laughs> relationships. They never got to that storm part, which is entertaining, but it's, it's really yeah. crazy and fun to watch these really crappy cars drive around the world, like through Siberia and just <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds amazing. And then if you like, if you're getting into motorcycling, there, mm-hmm. the Bible for around the world travel is not uh, the long way around with you and McGregor, right? That's, that's, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi going on around the world on a motorcycle. But there's yeah. a guy who um, went around the world in the 70s uh, from the UK on a triumph. It's called Ju- Jupiter's Travels. And Jupiter's he, Travels. Okay. Yeah, he convinced his editor to, to basically pay him to, to ride his motorcycle around the world. And it's a fascinating read. So he did these columns for, uh, I think it was the Times of London or something. And then he compiled them into a book. Uh, and it's really well written. It's kind of um, just, you know, his adventure and how he managed to ride a motorcycle around the world. And the very first, wow. and, it's, and it's very different. The very first book of somebody going around the world is a book that an American did. And it's so crazy. He was... He was like he was like like nineteen twelve or something. He's at some party uh, in in the UK, and somebody bets him that he couldn't ride a motorcycle around the world. And he's like, "I'll take that bet." <laughs> and then, oh my gosh! And then he it's called one man caravan, and he and he rides this old motorcycle around the world. And unlike Jupiter's Travels, which is very modern and talks about you know all the difficult parts, right? He mm-hmm. he's riding in a very different way, and it's really fun to to, to read because like he goes into Baghdad, right? And chapter ends, and then the next chapter is, I almost died in Baghdad. And you're like, how did you almost die? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I love that stuff. That sounds like gold. So if, yeah. if, you're, you know, if you're getting into like around-the-world motorcycle, Jupiter's Travels is excellent. It's the Bible of overlanding for motorcycles. And then if you yeah. want to go like where it all started, go to One Man Caravan. Okay. okay. i reading today. I don't know. <laughs> great. That sounds great. Yeah. So uh, books, other books I've been reading, you know, is that uh, we've finished vagabonding, mm-hmm. which is really good. Yeah. Um, and then I had fun with hundred deadly skills by Clint Emerson. That was kind of a fun one. Uh, and then just working on just global travel skills being mm-hmm. you know, tuned up for traveling internationally and stuff. Uh, I've been enjoying those books. So, so yeah, that's about it. What's next? Where, where are you off to next? 
Oh boy. Well, we're, not all of it's a hundred percent because yeah. of the whole, you know, what's going on in the world right now with COVID-19, but uh, we've launched a new series called Solo. And Solo is the first time that we've branched out in two ways. Uh, we're sending one truck, one crew out on it and an adventure. So uh, the Ashley and Richard Giordano from Desk to Glory just finished mm-hmm. our Arctic section. I saw that. Uh, it was cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they uh, we're we're in post production on that series right now. It's a five part series uh, of them traveling to Tuktoyuk Tuk in the middle of March in the Arctic winter and back. Um, they were gone for one month. So one truck, one crew, and that'll be a five-part series. Now we're working on another series right now that we're really waiting on what happens with all the borders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not looking good on the Australian front, let's just say mm-hmm. that, because mm-hmm. they're looking at shutting down a, uh, all international travel till 2021 at this time. Uh, hopefully that lifts. So we're readjusting some things, but that'll be another solo trip with a family. And then um, I'll be doing a solo trip with my boys this year um, with uh, the AEV prospector, the four wheel camper and uh, the toy hauler, hopefully with some fun stuff on the back of it. And we'll be traveling and I think we'll probably go to Canada. I, I just, I, I love Canada in the summer. If yeah. you can get up there, it's just a special, magical place. So I think I'll take my boys up there. Yeah, well, and, I think uh, we're really blessed here in North America that we have, you know, you, you don't have to go to Abu Dhabi, right, to have Right. A, yeah. You, Man, you, there's so much good stuff here. Yeah, yeah. You, you can do it here or up in Canada. It's It really is just incredible what we have, especially right. in the West where we live. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned for those. We'll be launching all the way, those throughout the year, all the way through Christmas and beyond potentially uh, with how the COVID stuff panning out. And then uh, we're also working on a budget build. Well, we're calling it a progressive build. We have bought a 1996 Forerunner, mm-hmm. and we're going to be progressively building it up from the budget scale all the way to a full-blown build at one point. So stay tuned for that too. Mm-hmm. Is it those are all like silvery gold? Is that that color? Because they, they all seem to be. Like, <laughs> this one is green. This is the I mean, green, one. really dark green one. It's a it's a pretty color. Yeah, I like yeah. it. It's a limited, so and it has the factory rear locker in it. Oh, you got you got the good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So yeah, nice. and then and then I'd say we're we're already you know it takes you know how these big productions take, but it takes so long to spool these up. So we've already got some pretty cool locations on the table for 2021 yeah. to do the full blown. You know, we just did the great pursuit series last year. That was our last kind of big season. Um, we kind of do every other year. That's the big production, the big team. And then the years in between will um, are usually U S travels or a smaller scale. So 2021 uh, we'll, we'll see. see. There's what a lot, happens, you know, the but, world is so weird right now, but yeah. we've got two, on the docket right now that both of them intimidate the heck out of me. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what those trips are. I'm hoping that, you know, a year from now, this is a bad memory. You know, I, really I, hope I so agree. Too. Yep. You know, that, that we look yeah. at this and like, Hey, remember when we were, st-, you know, that, that, that yep. will be the, the best uh, thing that can happen. Well, thank you guys for yeah. taking the time to Absolutely. share your experiences with our audience. Uh, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think for all of you amateur budding overlanders, uh, these are the, the, the two that have set the bar, and that bar is pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but if people, you know, people want to learn more, definitely go to YouTube, go to Prime. You put it out there, right? A, a lot of the videos actually show you preparing the vehicles while you purchase the vehicles. I mean, we talked about it, but 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 in the films, and I don't know if you, if you call we consider ours videos. You might consider them films. So don't take don't please don't be offended if I call them videos. No, 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 no. I don't mean it that way. Uh, but in your production and in your work, that's all there. So so please check it out. And, and thank you very much for taking the time to to speak with me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Yeah, thanks for thanks, having Roman. us on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.